Are you an SDR, BDR, or an ADR who's ready to step up to management? Are you a current team lead or SDR manager who wants to go to the next level in your career? Join TenBound on July 19th, 2017 in downtown San Francisco for an immersive half-day live training class where we'll cover sales development, culture building, recruiting, team management, metrics, and designing your own career as a sales development professional. You don't want to miss this exclusive opportunity. Sign up today at 10bound.com slash events. That's 10bound.com slash events. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. I am honored and blessed to have my next guest on the show. I've been trying to get you on the show for a long time. You're super, super busy, and it's, it's been hard to, to lock it down. But um, Catherine Andrua from Aptus, Director of Sales Development, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, you're welcome, David. I'm really excited to be here. And sorry for all the rescheduling snafus. As your company's trying to get ready for IPO, you get pulled into a bunch of meetings, which is great. It offers me a lot of exposure, but at the same time, I'm super busy, but I'm really excited we locked this date down. Me too, because we had a panel a couple months ago in San Francisco that you were on um, and we were discussing leadership versus management and you had so many great points. And I looked at the panel and I was like, Okay, everyone's been on the show except for Catherine, <laughs> so <laughs> I got to get this going. So really glad that you're here. Well, great. So I and I know you're buried with um, all the exciting events at your company, but tell us a bit about your background. How did you get into sales development and how did you end up over at Aptus? Sure. Great question. So I started off typically, you know, as you go through college, you think you're going to be one thing and you end up being something completely different. And I thought for sure I was going to be a doctor all through my life until I got into freshman year of college. And I was like, all right, well, now I can't apply to medical school. My grades aren't that great. So I decided to switch gears and I actually fell into finance out of all um, careers. So I started in finance. Then after three and a half years of going through that and hitting the recession, I had a gal I'm actually one of my really great friends um, from childhood say you'd be great in tech sales. And at first that that kind of scares you a little bit because I know nothing about tech. I mean, I still get an update every every week about how I haven't backed up my phone in 86 weeks. Like I just don't I'm not savvy in that sense. So she's like, no, no, it's not that. Just come on in. I was like, all right. So I gave it a try and here I am, I want to say like 10 years later now, I started off as a as a BDR for Aruba Networks, calling in and asking people if they were looking to upgrade their wireless LAN infrastructure. And ever since then, it's been, you know, home sweet home. I absolutely love sales. I didn't think that I would love sales. And it's just something that I'm really passionate about. And it turns out I'm pretty good at it as well. And I think it's because I am so passionate about it. Okay. That, that is really interesting. So you, over the last <laughs> few years, you've, you've been a BDR or an SDR, whatever you want to call it. There's all these different names for it. You've been a BDR yeah. and then you have worked your way up to it being a director, that which is an amazing achievement. When you started that, you know, that that's first BDR job. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's uh hey, take a moment. I mean, that's awesome. Um, I'm sure that, you know, the people that listen to the show, they're SDRs who are really interested in management and broadening their career and, you know, managers and directors who are in your, your same position and they, they want to learn more. 
I'm curious when you first got that that SDR job, the BDR job, and you came in. What was your experience like coming in from finance to tech? And you know, what were some of the challenges that you had to go through? You know, entering this new space. You know, it was really about the conversation. I was in finance doing loans. Um, for the and so the messaging was completely different and it translated over into my new life in tech sales where I had to learn about different personas I had to learn the right way to pitch a new product in the same way that I was doing that in finance the difference was just the messaging and I mean lucky for Aruba Networks I'm able to to quickly flex in different ways so it wasn't too much of a transition, but it was a scary transition. And so my advice to anybody that's always trying something new is if it doesn't make you nervous, then it's really just not worth doing because typically the nerves are what make you successful. And mm. it is what motivates me to be successful in my role. So every day when I walk into a new type of meeting that I was never a part of, you know, with the CRO or with the CEO or our SVPs. I get a little bit nervous, but in a way, however, I plan out my messaging or my strategy because I'm nervous. I try to go in even more prepared and it resonates with them and it tends to come off as, as far more professional and as if I've been working on it for months. But my nerves really drive my success on how I'm able to portray that messaging. So I would say it just goes back to messaging and, and really finding out, you know, the best way to, to um, share your product with the universe, because if you're not passionate about your product or, or your solution, then why would your prospect be? So that was a challenge for me that I was able to overcome pretty quickly. Yeah. There's a, there's a couple of big things there. Which um, one one thing you mentioned is if it doesn't make you kind of nervous and, and fearful, then it's not a really a growth opportunity. That's really interesting because there's there's a guy named Jeffrey Gittimer who writes mm-hmm. like the Little Red Book of Selling and stuff yes. like that. It's like Selling 101. And he's talked about um, how there's so much fear, you know, in society and there's just like fear kind of everywhere you you look at your Facebook feed or you watch the news, God help you. Um, There's a lot of fear out there. So it's like people are so fearful already that they kind of lose their self-confidence. But what you're saying is if something is fear inducing, then you should run with it and try to learn from it by being over-prepared for those situations, right? Right. Exactly. That's that's amazing advice because I I think um, the natural human reaction to fear is hide or you yeah know. yeah and yeah. you know it it goes with like even applying for jobs listen you're not gonna ever like no one's gonna ask you hey do you want to go be a director here I've got a job opening that's not ever the case like <laughs> no one's ever looking out for you I mean here's another little piece of advice my mom told me and it's funny we call them Irenisms um, she said no one cares more about Catherine, then Catherine. I mean, maybe I do, as my mom would say, but but no one's going to look out for you the way that you're going to look out for yourself. And so, I mean, 
when you're looking at even new roles in your company or outside of your organization, you should be applying for some for a role that is a bit of a stretch for you. It should make you nervous to apply and say, oh my gosh, I might not be able to do this bullet point on this job description, but I can show them through my other work and what I have done that I am capable of accomplishing this task. So using that type of of fear in, in jobs, in your career, in picking up the phone and calling someone, you know, that you're reaching out to as you're outbound prospecting, that should be what motivates you even more in my eyes, <laughs> in my opinion. Right. So you're, you're sitting down and you're going, okay, like here, I've got three tasks. Like right. usually the, the one that's going to push me forward, you know, in my life and career is the one that's hung up with, the most fear (laughs) I'm scared to do. And I, and I said before the usual reaction is to go hide somewhere for me, it's pizza, like (laughs) something. Um, but anyways, um, so you're sitting there and you're going, okay, I got three things. This one is inducing the most fear. And like you said, preparation, but what's your, when you're faced with that, what's your process for like dealing with that and pushing through? Because obviously by, your track record, you've been able to push through those things. And, and, you know, maybe there's people out there that are dealing with that right now. You know, I'm a bit of a procrastinator, but in a procrastinator in the sense that compiling the information I procrastinate on, but I'm kind of, I'm, I'm typically doing something every single day that I know I might need in the future. Um, for example, like, marketing ops reports, right? I know that one day someone's going to come up to me and say, how many leads or how many opportunities were booked via prospecting lead source? How many were booked via inbound lead source? And from that inbound lead source, how many came from events? How many came from website? So I'm constantly asking for a refresh of these reports, or I'm constantly asking for a new dashboard to be invented for myself. I can build them, but we're really lucky here at Aptus that we have a separate team that can build them for you. And um, so I'm constantly trying to be three steps ahead of the game. And, and actually I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to give credit to my boss, Dan Fronin, as well as, you know, our overarching boss, Maria Pergolino for that, because I learned really quick when I started taking meetings with her that she was always five steps ahead of me. And so I needed to make sure that I was five steps ahead of her. So now before I walk into any meeting, I think to myself, all right, I'm, I'm going to be showing her career pathing. Well, with career pathing, she's going to want to know how many BDRs have been in this role for how long, what was their conversion ratios, how much pipeline did they build? Is this an actual role that we want to keep on? So when I'm presenting something, I'm looking and I'm thinking, as Maria would or as Dan would and saying, all right, this, these are the questions that they're going to ask. And then I'm, I'm doing that, but I'm typically up till like 11 o'clock or midnight putting together my presentation because I'm procrastinating. (laughs) (laughs) So that is my downfall is that I procrastinate till the end, but it's something that just helps drive me too. It's just one of my, my drivers inside of my body that gives me that weird ball feeling in your stomach and it makes me better. Nice. Nice. So you identified like, okay, these are the things 
you know, down, down the line that they're going to ask me. And you've got some right. great mentorship. I have never met Dan, but I know of Maria's reputation in the industry is amazing. And I'd love to meet her someday. Um, and, and Dan as well, but you've got this amazing mentorship and they're, they're kind of teaching you like, okay, you've got a little knot in your stomach about this issue, but you know that they're going to start asking you questions. So you're being super proactive and getting the information and preparing before you go into those meetings. Right. And don't get me wrong. There are times where I come in with all of this information and, and I didn't think of one thing or we go off on a tangent and I'm like, you know what? I don't have that answer for you right now. I've learned to be humble about my answers versus trying to just impress her where I just sit back and I say, I don't have that answer for you right now, but I'll look it up. And sometimes it works where she's like, all right, cool. Let me know by the end of the day. Or sometimes she's like, how come you don't know this? And I'm like, I I don't, I don't know. You caught me. I don't know why I don't know this, but I will certainly find out for you. And I will always know this going forward. (laughs) Yeah. You got that seared into your memory for next time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. and it's funny because I'm running a training program for sales development managers or people that want to get into sales development. And when we get into the operations section, that you know they they want to know specifics about you know what should we be measuring, and we go over that at a high level, but it's totally customized for every company. But what the point that I try to make is, you've got to be really, really vocal and strident in getting what you need from the operations people, like what you were saying with the dashboards. Not a lot of companies have operations people that can help put together the dashboard. So as the sales development leader, you've got to be really confident in saying, like, these are the metrics that I need. And if I can't get it from you or you or you, I get I got to figure out how to get it. That's that's the point I was trying to make with them. Absolutely. Totally. And that's why I, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. It's okay. That's why I think it's really important that, you know, as a manager, as a director, or even as a BDR, LDR, whatever acronym you want to call yourself this week, you need to know how to do reporting in any type of CRM. You have yep. to be able to quickly give information and data and know your business and know your desk at any point during the day. Because if somebody walks up to me and asks me a question and I can't say, yeah, hold on, give me a second. Let me run this report for you or let me check my dashboard or let me ask this person. If I don't know or at least look like I don't understand my business, I've lost credibility in less than 30 seconds. And it takes it takes forever to build that credibility. You got to keep delivering, and and then you can it can just be blown away in like one interaction. So yes. that's kind of scary. <laughs> Let's not scare people on this. But okay, the other the other point that I wrote down from your initial response was you got to have passion about your product. So let's unpack that a little bit because yeah. what if what if you come in and you're like. You know, I'm, I'm selling like WAN networks to, you know, XP13s and, um, <laughs> I'm like 22 years old and I just got out of college and I don't know what the hell a WAN network is. Like, how do you get passionate about that? Or is that a decision that you need, you needed to make before you took the job? You know, I've, that's a really great question. I've sold everything from wireless LAN infrastructure to virtual 3D screens to ERP, CRM, and now I'm selling 
you know, billing and RevRoc and contract management and CPQ, basically a whole quote to cash solution. So everything is different. I think what's really important is that you don't get too wrapped up in what the product is, but you really focus on who you're selling to. If you can somehow find a way to personalize your messaging to that individual, they're not really going to care what the product is unless it fits their pain points, right? So if I'm going to be calling into legal, right? We sell our contract lifecycle management solution. If I'm calling into legal and I say, hey, you know, I've got this really great legal platform for you to use, it's not going to sound customized at all. They're going to say, that's nice, just like the 30 other BDRs that have called me. But if I can call in and say, hey, is your legal team struggling with um, an SLA around being able to redline MSAs for your sales team? They're going to be like, whoa, yeah, that's, how did you know, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, that is a typical pain point for that persona. And it resonates from the manager level, from the director level, from the VP level, you know, and all the way up. So you can actually use that messaging for every title. And then you can also, you know, pick a different bullet point. What I would do is as a BDR is I would look at the collateral that marketing would give to me. And we're lucky here at Aptus once again, where we've got an entire team that pushes out collateral for us and actually creates these ginormous persona spreadsheets that are laminated that we can have on our desks. And what I would do as a BDR is I would take a couple points from each of like the laminated sheets and I would work that into my messaging or I would work that into my emails. And that's what my voicemails would be. You know, I, my voicemails aren't, Hey, this is Kat from Aptis calling you in regards to the ebook that you downloaded. I would like ebook makes my, my skin crawl. I literally can't stand that term. I let my BDRs know here. I'm like, your voicemail should be, Hey, this is Kat calling from Aptis. And I just wanted to see, you know, if you guys are struggling with your SLAs around redlining MSAs, you know, you might not be the right person that deals with this redlining, you know, but give me a call back and put me in touch with the right person. Cause I have a feeling based on conversations I've had with other people in your organization, that this might be a pain point we can help you solve. And I'd love to learn a little bit more about your process, you know, where you're not hitting them on the ebook that they downloaded. You're not even trying to really sell them the product. You're actually telling them that, you know, you understand that there's a pain point that they're probably needing to address and you want to learn about it. Not, Hey, do you want to learn about our product, but you want to learn about their pain points and how you can maybe help them. Totally right on. I mean, it makes my skin crawl when it's like, Hey, I saw you visited this <laughs> webinar. It's like, dude, no, please yeah. don't say that. They don't care about the webinar. They don't care about your product. I mean, they don't care about you. I mean, maybe yeah. that is that, is that another, um, what did you call it? Or what's your mom's, uh, expressions? Oh, nobody, nobody cares more about Catherine than Catherine. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, the customer is not out there going, gee, I I hope that Catherine can make her quota this month. You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, But you called, you called it, it was like your mother's name with. Oh, Irenisms. Irenisms. (laughs) 
<laughs> I want to learn all the Irenisms. They sound really cool. Got a couple. But, um, no, I mean, to your point, it's like, you know that they don't care about you. They don't care about the product. They don't care about basically anything that you're doing. The only thing that they do care about is the probably three or four major issues that they're trying to solve. Right. And, you know, if you can help them to solve one of them, dude, they'll love you. <laughs> yeah. And if you're the first one that is actually showing some sort of value to them, you are going to be the person that they think of all the time. Every time, like I've had vendors reach out to me like crazy, right? But it's the vendors that have built relationships with me that I keep going back to at every single company. I immediately call my old AE and I'm like, hey, I'm at this new company. I'm ready to deploy your platform. Let's go. I'm like the gift that keeps on giving for these vendors, but it's because they give back to me. They offer me great discounts. They give me the top line customer service. You know, they, they know that there's different pain points at each company. I mean, it's back and forth. It's how you build that relationship. And if you're the first in line, you'll always be the first in line, no matter where that individual goes. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, from a longer term perspective, it's, it's hard to, kind of convince people internally, like, this is the way to go. We have to add value first mm-hmm. and and give value. I mean, I, I was watching a thing, webinar, saying it's like 80%, 85%, and then 15% of giving value, you know, giving things away, like g- giving away content and, and advice and building trust with people. And then only like 15% of an ask is some kind of call to action, you know, where I, I think where a lot of BDRs go wrong is they come straight in with the ask. It's like a hundred percent ask. And the, the other thing that bugs me is like, Hey, do, you downloaded a white paper. Do you have any questions? It's like, yeah. dude, you're freaking killing me right now. Yes. I mean, they forgot they downloaded the white paper. They don't know who you are. And no, they don't have any questions. Yeah, it's and that's the tough part is, you know, even reaching out to invite people to events. It's like you can't just send them the link to the landing page and have them register. It's, hey, you know what? Like you're in the Chicago area. You probably don't have all day. And you probably don't have time for a discovery call with us, but hey, listen, we're giving away a couple gift cards. I'd love to put your name down. If you stop by our booth, I'll make sure that you get a gift card. And you know what? We don't have to have a call, but you can actually get a demo of my product. And that way you can actually take a look at our product with no pressure from me giving you a call back ever again until you're really (laughs) interested. And let me tell you, when you write it out that way, people are like, wow, it's a human being writing this. And my ask at the end is, is always like, Hey, we're going to be there. Let me know if you want me to register. But I always end my emails with, I look forward to your response. Okay. And somehow or another, I get a ton of responses back. And I do the same thing on voicemails. Like, Hey, Shirley, you know, give me a call back whenever you get a chance. I look forward to hearing from you. And it just gives them that little inclination like, oh, wow, this person's expecting me to give them a call back. Sometimes they call back. Sometimes they don't. But I've sat many of times on the floor as a manager and BDRs will sit there and they're like, oh, my God, someone's calling you back. And I'm like, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Just (laughs) hear me out. Like I didn't like I have a lot of wisdom to share. And trust me, like these lines actually do work. (laughs) 
totally. And you got to, you know, record them down and get them into some kind of playbook, right? Or, yes. or something that you can add. And so the, the, a couple of things before yeah. we move on from that, you know, I think the takeaway is start your playbook with the personas and the pain points and make sure that when people are onboarding as new BDRs or, you know, they're doing training that you start with who are we calling and what are their pain points? How do we solve them? Even before talking about like the product and, and objection handling and all that stuff, like make sure that people are on point with the personas and pain points that you solve. Um, you know, I think that's, that's thing number one. And then have a playbook. The best sales development leaders make it a point to learn and grow each day with the Sales Development Podcast. How would you like to directly reach these decision makers and game changers in the sales development space with your specific message? To sponsor the Sales Development Podcast, go to 10bound.com slash contact to request a rate card or just click the link in Spreaker or YouTube. Again, that's 10bound.com slash contact. Reach out today to the top sales development leaders in our industry with your valuable message. Do you do you guys use a playbook for the them or how do you structure getting all this great knowledge in front of the BDRs? So we have way too many ways, I would say, of sharing <laughs> this information with them. We did have a playbook in the past. And then when I started here back in November, the playbook was from like 2014. And mind you, I started in 2016. So we immediately removed that from Quick Links because I didn't want anybody thinking that I had anything to do with it. And then <laughs> I tore it down and I just started building out slides. And you know, I started with, hey, what do you guys have already in place and what are you guys using from the managers? So a lot of the information actually came from what my managers were using. And it was scheduling around the ABM process. Um, it had a lot to do with the persona, the voicemail templates, the email templates. And then what I did, and then I created a tool section of, you know, how do you build a report? Because some of my new, you know, LDRs that are coming in have never used Salesforce before. So they need a step-by-step -step guidance on how to build out a report or a leads view. And then I actually then put into motion like, well, I have a lot of guest speakers in. So I'm going to do a link to my Dropbox where I put in... Um, Voice, uh, I put in trainings by other people. I do a lot of guest speaker series here within my office and I record those individuals. And so I put that into my playbook. And then after I put together a hundred slides, I sent it to Topo <laughs> and I had Christina and Hirsch over there take a look at it. And they were like, you have so much information. This is so awesome. You actually probably have six playbooks in one. And they're 100% right. So now what I'm doing is I'm breaking it down in even further and I'm breaking the playbook into, you know, process and procedure playbook, rules of engagement playbook, tools playbook, persona playbook. And I'm putting together like almost a, a, a ginormous book with different chapters that people can refer to. And we have that posted in Salesforce chatter. We have it posted on our Dropbox. We have it in everybody's emails. And then my team chatters every single day, their activity for what they've done for that day. Did they book any meetings? Did they have any launches? We also have every single week, we have a revenue success call here at Aptis where my BDRs um, get on get on the line and they discuss, you know, their launch of the week, like what big opportunity were they able to launch that week? You know, we also have, um, I do biweekly syncs with my RVPs. So the messaging 
I'm beyond transparent with my entire organization. Excellent. Okay, that's there's a lot there. So you, you guys actually <laughs> use chat. <laughs> no wonder Hirsch and Christina were like, okay, hold yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is great. And no wonder why I have to keep rescheduling with you. <laughs> yeah, no, they're just like, okay, we need six months. We'll get back to you. Right. So you guys actually use Chatter. That's interesting because there's not a lot of companies that actually ended up using it. But it makes total sense because it's right there in Salesforce. Yeah. And we have so many different groups in Chatter too. Like we have Aptis BDR all, and then we have our EMEA BDR team Chatter group. And then each individual region has their own Chatter. And so because I support the globe, I am involved in every single Chatter group. So I get instant updates all the time from these groups, which actually helps me stay on my toes with what my customers need and my customers are our sales organization and our marketing organization. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I was managing a big global SDR organization and we, we really pushed them to use chatter and it kind of started to work. Mm-hmm. And then there was another thing that used to be called Ripple, I think, um, but it's oh, sort of like, it. yeah, and now it was bought out by Salesforce and it's integrated into Salesforce and chatter. Um, I can't remember what it's called now, but if the rep is on this podcast, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> um, but they, they have like gamification and certifications and you can integrate it and stuff like that in, right into Salesforce. So I love that. I like bringing it all together into one pane of glass. And, um, and l- just taking a step back, could you describe how the organization is set up at, at Aptis? Because you mentioned you've got the LDRs who I'm assuming are doing inbound or hybrid and, and then you got the BDRs. So what does the whole organization look like and that you're involved with? Absolutely. So we just recently switched this back in February where we created more of like what we call a fielding team of BDRs that basically sit there and smile and dial through all of our marketing inbound leads. And what's so fantastic about Aptis is that these guys are literally inundated day in, day out with leads. I've never worked for an organization that has as many inbound leads coming in. The, the marketing nurture tracks here are amazing. We're constantly getting leads that maybe we've moved into like a recycle status, come back into our queues as returning leads because they're actually clicking on the collateral that we're sending them to sending them again. So they're coming back to us as even returning leads. And so these guys are day in, day out calling on what we call our tier three leads. And these are leads that are not um, assigned to any AE BDR group. They're more of like a target market approach accounts where we're not targeting them like an ABM strategy. We're targeting them for more of like a nurture strategy just to generate interest. And then when they generate interest, they come into us and we move them into a top account status. And then we've broken up the additional BDRs into the enterprise sector where we are a two to one ratio with our field teams. And which is great because what we figured out is that the the larger the ratio on the AE side, so the minute you go to a three to one, the production of a BDR diminishes because their bandwidth is spread thinner. And so 
We've noticed that the ACV that they're able to bring in from a pipeline perspective actually increased when we moved them more to a two-to-one, and they were able to work strategically with their with their account executives in the field. And then what we did even further was we aligned those BDRs to only receive um, leads from our tier one and tier two accounts. So we whittled down that ability or not, I shouldn't say ability. We whittled down and turned off the faucet of all of those tier three leads that come in that can distract you from your everyday strategic approach into your top accounts. And on top of that, we went even further and we had, we increased the MQL score. So in order for a BDR to actually get a marketing inbound lead for their top account in their queue, the score has to be high and it has to actually align to the accounts that we're focused on. So a BDR doesn't just get 50 inbound leads in their account or in their um, leads view every single day. They get maybe 10 or 12, but of those 10 and 12, most are actively interested in the Aptis quote to cash solution. Okay. So the BDRs also can get inbound leads if they come in from those named accounts, but most of their time, are they actively outbound to those accounts because they're just don't get any leads from them? Correct. So what they're doing is they are actively outbounding into those top accounts. And what's great too, is we have saved all of the leads throughout the years that Aptis has been nurturing. So most of the top accounts have between 25 to 30 contacts in each account. So the BDRs are actually calling on individuals that have been nurtured in the past by Aptis, and they're using Discover.org to append that information as well. Are there new titles that we should be contacting? Are there other departments we should be contacting? What triggers are happening within that marketplace, within that state, within that region, within the company? Interesting. Okay. Cool. So they're doing a little bit of research too and, and using discover work and different things to like augment the information that you have. And I, I'm curious about the, the, how you guys made the, the stratification for w- how to select the accounts that they're really going to go after. And then how do you determine if something's an MQL and, and the point system and all that? Sure. Uh, just at a high level, could you talk a little yeah. bit about how you did that? Yeah. So when we were focusing on fiscal year 18 planning, we sat down with our sales ops organization and with the leaders within the sales organization. And we said, hey, guys, all right, so here's our ideal customer profile. Here are the industries that we've been successful in. You guys should take a look at all of the data that we currently have in our CRM now and evaluate if these are the accounts that we want to go after. And so... From a sales ops perspective, they took a look at all of the accounts and they said, all right, Mr. AE, here are your top 500 accounts in your area. We're going to tag these as all tier two top accounts, targets that you want to break into. These ones are your tier three in your region and these ones are your tier ones. And your tier ones are really more of like your install base and people that you have active opportunities with already. And from an MQL standpoint, we then looked at those accounts and we said, all right, 
which ones have leads in them that we've already been calling into and how have our leads looked in the past in these top accounts. And we evaluated that if they didn't have certain criteria, we would put the score at a certain level. If they were you know, a lead that was returning, well, they had to do more activity than just download an ebook from our website. They had to download an ebook, they have to fill out a contact us form, and then it would populate into our queue. So we increased the score on returning leads, open leads, you know, new net new leads don't necessarily have that high of a score, especially if they hit one of our top accounts. If they're one of our top accounts, and a lead comes in and they downloaded an ebook, we get an instant notification and we're on the phone with those individuals right away. And the way that we're able to do that is we now have our leads view, which is all MQLs under two hours is what you check on an hourly basis. Okay. And, and go ahead. And I was just going to say, you know, how they keep following up with that is we've included a call, a call counter in our leads view. So BDRs have leads views that are first call touch, second, third, and fourth. And so it automatically populates into that leads view based on the call touch counter. Gotcha. Okay. So that's all organized for them. And then do you use anything for predictive analytics for determining the score or is it just your customized program that you guys have made yourself? Do you use any vendors or anything like that? Yeah, so our marketing operations team uses tools like EverString, uh, Lead Genius, Zoom Info, whether it's to predictively, you know, provide that predictive analysis on the lead or even to, um, what's the word I'm looking for, um, to not nurture, to to nourish the lead. So oh, if like enrich the data, information yeah, okay the quality of the data yes thank you okay yeah so there's a pretty sophisticated tool stack behind that obviously yeah <laughs> yeah to get that all going and then do you use anything that uh helps them to that helps the bdr to like organize their workflow like a sales loft or outreach type of system or is that also customized well we use actually we use insidesales.com mm-hmm. to manage our workflows we have the the um, power dialer that is built into our CRM. And then we also use vision to track all of our emails. And then we also have their neurolytics tool that we use and their power standings. Okay. All right, cool. Sorry. Sorry. I'm just, my mechanic hat is coming yeah. on. I just, always, I <laughs> I, now, now, you know, the, you know how they have that MarTech like thing that has like 5,000 vendors on it that comes out. Um, yes. Now there's one for sales development. <laughs> That's been coming out of a, oh God. Now we got to learn all those. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's the thing is there's so many new tools that come out in the marketplace. But when I came on board, you know, we weren't using inside sales to its fullest capacity. And to be honest with you, I'd never used inside sales at, a, at another organization. So I put on my hat and I said, all right, well, this is what we're going to do. If the team's not using it, I'm just going to break it up by the different tools that Inside Sales provides us. And we're going to do a retraining on each of them. And I'm going to have the BDR team take on the power dialer first. And they're going to call through and actually use the power dialer. And then I'm going to bring Inside Sales back in. And we're going to re not implement vision, but we're going to 
bring vision back to life and have the team use vision again. So it's almost like creating a muscle memory. Like once they build up on power dialer, they're no longer thinking about it. They're just using it. Then we're going to bring up vision again and they're going to create muscle memory around vision and they're just going to use it every day. So we just decided to start, start from scratch and I'm changing a couple of the ways that we are, you know, recording conversations and that's from having conversations with Steve over at ExecuVision, you know, like he's been such a great mentor when it comes to best practices around inside sales that I really credit him for this. I mean, I mean, that goes into something else like, you know, I didn't invent sales development. I reach out to people and I learn from other people and I use their best practices and I mold it for my team. And my team is running on the best ideas in the Valley because I'm reaching out to people and I'm not reinventing the wheel. I'm just, you know, making it a different size wheel for the size of my team. Right. Exactly. So you're, you're, you're you've got that learner's mind of, of bringing in the best uh, thing and then customizing it for your own program. Right. Uh, which is awesome. And a quick plug, Steve's been on the show. His podcast yes. was amazing. It's one of the highest downloads that I have. And then there's also 21 episodes of the Sales Development Podcast with <laughs> some of the best and brightest, yeah. like Catherine, available to you, you know, in your car and running and things like that. So take advantage of it. There's a lot of great information out there, but you got to customize it for your own program because a lot of people just try to recreate the playbook from their last company and it's totally different depending on which company you go to, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this has been great, Catherine. I appreciate it. I know that the listeners will really appreciate it and I totally understand how you've been able to work your way up the ranks. So, you know, just all the best to your uh, further success and thanks so much for sharing with us on the show. Absolutely. And thanks so much for having me. And hopefully I, I hit the top of your leaderboard as well. I love those who are standing. <laughs> I know that, you know, all the guests say that. I think everyone's really hyper competitive that comes on and especially <laughs> Ralph Barcy. Like he'll call me oh. like once a month and be like, dude, what are the standings? Yeah. The stand- <laughs> I'm like, I'm actually going to text him right now and say, I hope I beat your standing. <laughs> he'll love that. And I actually, he's, he's a perennial number two on the list. It, uh, Matt Admonson was oh. the first one that I had on the show. And yeah. I think what he's got such high standings because people like log in and they're like, oh, it's a sales development podcast. Okay. So they listen to his and then they, I don't know, <laughs> they go away. Right. And so right. he's, he's number one, but Ralph is definitely up there. Awesome. Well, it's been such a pleasure and I'm really excited to sync up with you again, hopefully in person next time. Yeah, definitely. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thanks, David. Bye.